Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast along with Aaron Fitt in the heartland of America. I'm John Manuel. We're brought to you. This podcast is brought to you by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack raid and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther. Louisville Slugger. Aaron, where in the heartland are you? I believe it's Wichita. Are you back in? Are you uh, far from this opera forevermore? Is that where you are? I don't get that reference, John. But That's I am Seven in Wichita. Seven Nation Army. Come on, Seven Nation uh, Army. You know, I was thinking to myself yesterday um, that it was. Kind of unbelievable that they didn't play that song at Wichita State, and they played everywhere else. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it didn't get played at, at X Stadium, but uh, I am still in Wichita on the last the last uh, day of this ten day excursion here, and uh, it's been a it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, a lot of neat venues and programs. I think that are uh, headed in, in good directions, and uh, and you know, some teams that are they're they're pretty good. I mean, I think this Wichita State team has a chance. Um, to make a little bit of noise this year, you know they're they're balanced and they're experienced, and that's obviously a big series win against the Titans. And the Titans are are struggling right now. Um, you know it's kind of kind of heard what I expected to hear from Rick Vanderhoek after the game. You know I mean he was ready to pretty much say that his team's terrible, and if if we if we had a bottom ten in our rankings, that his team should be in in it. <laughs> uh, you know, bottom 10 in America. I mean, not, not the bottom 10 in the top 25. <laughs> well, there are the bottom 10 in the top 25 here, and we dropped them nine oh, spots down yeah. to number 18. Um, that's as good a place to start as any. Well, I mean, there's more things we can talk to you about with, the, uh, with your trip and, and those programs, because you've seen some really great highlights, and I, I, one of the highlights of the trip, at least for me, selfishly, was Friday's uh, Google Hangout with, uh, with Darren Erstad. That was a lot of fun. I thought Coach Erstad knocked that out of the park. But let's talk about the Titans because this week, this is a week of tumult in the top 25 rankings. We have teams debuting as high as number 13 from not ranked to 13, although Florida had been ranked prior to that this season. Mm. But Aaron, uh, you know, we, we have one, two, three, four, five teams that were ranked last week that are new to the rankings this week. We have a team uh, falling from eight. We have two teams that fell, well, one team that fell 12 spots, one that fell 10. We have, uh, you know, some r- ranking stalwarts such as North Carolina. I'd like to know the last time North Carolina wasn't ranked. I would guess it was Matt Harvey's junior season back in 2010. 
yeah. NC State that was preseason number five all the way down uh, out of the rankings. But but for, but Cal State Florida team you just saw this weekend, a team that really Aaron coming into this weekend and then they lose again at Wichita. But basically, Fullerton seemed like they'd been kind of propped up in the rankings because they'd gone to Oregon and swept that series. Otherwise, Fullerton really hasn't had a knockout series yet. No. They've lost a series at Baylor. Now they have lost a series at Wichita State. So they've been on the road three times. They've lost two of those series. What's your take on the Titans? What's the If you're diagnosing the team for Rick uh, Vanderhoek, what, what do you tell them? What's the big problem for the Titans right now? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, that his diagnosis, he, you know, at the, at the midseason point here, he was giving out grades yesterday for his team, and he, he gave his pitching an A uh, for the first half of the season. But he said his offense and his defense get, you know, he's, Rick Vanderhoek is Fs. So um, dramatic pronouncements after a, a disappointing series loss. So, I mean, you know, we'll get that out of the way. I don't think they're, they're not as bad as he thinks they are yesterday. Um, but, you know, they're, they're not a very good offensive team. I mean that is true. Their um, the quality of their at bats uh, is not up to Cal State Fullerton standards. I mean they there are too many early count pop ups and you know just non productive at bats and um, you know things they didn't execute in, in when, when they needed to get a bunt down they didn't or when they needed to you know get a hit and run they they of. Um, Productivity there, up and down the lineup. Aaron, they I hit a ton of home runs. Am I breaking up, John? You, you did break up a little bit there, but uh, it sounds like the, the the general gist of this is that Cal State Fullerton's offense. I mean, uh, Coach Vanderhoek gives them an F. I mean, it sounds like even if you're not grading them as harshly as Coach Vanderhoek would, it's not a passing grade, or if it is, it's they're passing by the skin of their teeth. There's really not a positive. Uh, you know, like I said, there's some power there. They have three guys with three home runs, but it doesn't seem like they are. Uh, they, they haven't been a consistent offensive team. That's a fair way to put it, is it not? That's it. That's it. And you know, they haven't been very good on defense either. And uh, you know, certainly not having Matt Chapman in the lineup hurt them a little bit this weekend. He was dealing with a flu, flu-like symptoms, I guess, and um, throwing up and everything, so he couldn't even pinch hit him. But um, you know, he's one of their best players, as we know. Uh, but still, I mean, you know, they just need they need more out of out of their older guys. They need more out of um, some of the the newer guys. I mean, you know, the, there there are players here like Austin Deemer and Clay Williamson and um, you know uh, Keegan Dale who've been around this program for a while now, and they were counting on these guys to really lead the way here. And they've been waiting in the wings, and they need to have really good years, and they haven't. And uh, I guess the other thing is that prognosis going forward, they start Big West play next weekend, and the Big West is having a good year. Uh, they're, they're at UC Davis. I mean, they're at home against UC Davis to start next weekend, but then back-to-back road series against top 25 teams in Santa Barbara and Cal Poly. Hawaii's been competitive this year, so has Long Beach State. Um, this is no pushover league. Uh, what's your prognosis for the Titans going forward? Well, you know, I, I still think they're going to be fine. They've, they've got so much pitching um, that they're going to win a lot of games. And, you know, when they get to conference play, they usually do kind of take off. Usually, I mean, we've seen Fullerton struggle through the non-conference before because they played tough schedules. And this year's schedule isn't as tough, really, as they usually play. But it still contained, you know, I mean, some challenging road trips. You're going to Wichita. You're going to Baylor and Oregon. Those aren't easy places to play. I mean, those are quality programs. Um, you know, Washington State and San Francisco are quality non-conference series. You know, they don't have any pushovers here. Right. Um, but but that, 
that said, you know, they're 14 and 10. They're not really where we thought they'd be against that schedule. Um, I, I think they're still going to be fine in the Big West. Um, I think they'll probably still end up posting a regional. I think they'll be that kind of a team. But but right now, it sure looks like Cal Poly is the favorite in this league. And, uh, you know, that that's uh, pretty unusual for Cal State Fullerton not to be the favorite in the Big West. It really is unusual. And, uh, you know, Aaron, Cal Poly kind of started it off uh, this year making that loud statement by sweeping uh, Kansas State, and they just really haven't slowed down since then. I mean, Matt Imhoff, we've written about him, we've talked about him, but Aaron, this guy just hasn't, he just hasn't slowed down. Um, I don't yeah. think I told you I was going to talk to you about this guy, but I mean, you know, you're, you just saw Eric Fetty this weekend um, So I, with UNLV. I want to talk a little bit about him. And I, I mean, we're going to do a draft update uh, in the next 10 days here, a top 100 prospect list. Uh, we've got stuff, you know, Clint Longenecker just saw Carlos Redon Friday. It wasn't very, wasn't his, uh, Carlos's best again. Um, yeah, we've talked about Jeff Hoffman on the podcast. We've talked about a lot of guys. From a draft standpoint, though, I mean, Matt Imhoff, he's a left-hander who pitches off his fastball and dominates off his fastball week in, week, week out. Um, is this is this guy, has this been the best, uh, with Aaron Nola having lost this weekend, finally, I mean, I feel like we haven't talked about Matt Imhoff in the same breath as Aaron Nolan. It feels like we probably should. He has just been outrageously good. Yeah, he has been. And it seems like him and Brandon Finnegan have been kind of going back and forth for the national strikeout lead here um, for, for, for a while now. And both those guys, I think, are, are, uh, are the real deal. you know. And, and we have features, actually, both of them in our latest issue. that uh, at least, you know, I think we'll probably post at least one of those features, maybe both those features online this week. So keep an eye out for those if you're listening. But... Um, you know, Imhoff is, I think he's got, uh, what is it? Four double digit strikeout games now and seven starts. Um, you know, I mean, this guy is a strikeout machine and his, his, his breaking ball has improved too. Um, you know, this, the, the changeup still doesn't get a whole lot of run, but you know, he's started to use it more often a little bit. Uh, so he has become a three pitch guy. Um, uh, but you're right. I mean, primarily he's dominating off the fastball and the angle, um, the command of that thing. I mean, he's, uh, you know he's he's pretty special and and and, and their offense is special too. I mean that's it's certainly that that's one of the things that stands out about that team in Louisiana Lafayette and Virginia in, in the top five. You know even Florida State and South Carolina have have and, and Oregon State. All those teams have some physicality in the middle and they all have uh, productive um, at bats throughout their throughout their lineups. So um, you know it's harder to generate offense now. We've talked about this so many times and so the teams that can do it stand out. That's it. Uh, fitting it with 65 leads the leads the country right now. Imhoff one behind him at 64, and there's Aaron Nola. I think I think those are outdated stats though, because I think Finnegan's up to 73 now. Oh well, then uh, well then Imhoff would lead him then, because Imhoff had 13 this weekend, so he would have 77. There you go. So unless uh, Nola struck out 21, which we know he did not, <laughs> then I think Matt Imhoff is probably leading the country in uh, in strikeouts. So yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I, I, I saw the date wrong on that. <laughs> But um, yeah, I just I just think it's a, it's really surprising to see right now that we have three Big West teams ranked, and Cal State Fullerton is the third of them. Uh, that is not yeah. that is not the usual state of affairs. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Um, Aaron, one of the other huge factors, obviously, in this uh, ranking every week is the SEC. We've talked about that how we've ranked twelve different Southeastern Conference teams, and that was one of the other shakeups. We're just just talking about Aaron Nola. He took his first loss. One of their big shakeup series of the weekend was Florida sweeping LSU. And Florida really had, in terms of beating ranked teams, 
about as good a week as they could have had because they also beat number one Florida State in a midweek game, and they go and sweep LSU on the weekend. And it really feels like Florida has uh, turned things up a notch in conference play, Aaron, um, and it, and they're doing it in an unusual way. And you, just, you don't you you usually don't thrive in the Southeastern Conference with freshman weekend starters, and yet that's how Florida's thriving. I'm here now. Logan Shore, I mean, has been really good for him, and um, you know he was. He came up, I think, against Nola. He went head-to-head with Aaron Nola, and, and yep. I think he uh, he came up big, you know. Um, but uh, their, their team is is so exciting because of all the young players. I mean, um, oh, it was no, it was I, I should correct myself. It was Poche, it was Jordan, Jared Poche, another freshman. That's who who, who Logan Shore beat. Um, it was in the second game of the series. But anyway, yeah, I mean, the the point is, you're right. They're they're using younger arms. I mean, Eric Hanhold started the first game as a sophomore. You know, that has a really good arm. Um, and then they got a good start or uh, a good uh, relief appearance from Kirby Sneed, the left-hander, uh, in the in the series finale there. You know, so they've get they're getting contributions from a lot of different guys. Um, it seems like their offense is coming around a little bit. Um, you know, this team has won 13 of the last 16 games right now, and they they've played a very tough schedule. You know, I mean, even early in the season, you 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 start off with a series win against a, a pretty good Maryland team, as we as we found out. Uh, you go on the road to Miami, you don't get swept. And they had that one really bad weekend um, at home and the, where they lost three out of four against FGCU and, and, and Illinois. But since then, they've been really good. So, um, you know, these teams are going to go up and down all year long. But um, right now, Florida's got the hot hand, and, and they've got a lot of upside with those, those freshmen in there. Yeah, I mean, in their three SEC uh, series, obviously they t- had a series loss at Texas A&M last weekend. And you look at it a little bit closer, you know, two one-run losses on the road with a team that young. You know, now we'll see, you know, if Kevin O'Sullivan can – that's always a challenge for any coach, but obviously he's kind of all in with the young guys. And can you get this team to be consistent? Or is it going to ride this roller coaster where the next two weekends are on the road at ranked teams at Kentucky and South Carolina? Um, you know, it's, th- those are going to be challenging. But uh, it's clearly, you know, sweeping LSU and, and winning those four games. And the fact they beat – Florida State at midweek last week um, doesn't hurt, um, but yeah, I mean it's tied at six and three with South Carolina, Alabama, and Mississippi State. Those are the four best records in the Southeastern Conference. Aaron, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention just South Carolina. Just, I mean, who does what they do? Back to back walk off wins, right? Like they do. I mean, this walk off homers. Pre- yeah, walk off home runs. This team is just preposterous. <laughs> Their flair for the dramatic <laughs> is. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it, uh, the the level of belief that that team has is just, uh, we've talked about that before. I mean, is there, is there another phrase for it? I guess with Will Crow, he removes the drama because he's been so dominant right. on Sundays for them. But how do you account for that ridiculous level of belief that South Carolina has? It is preposterous. I like that word. I mean, it's, it's you know, every every week it seems like it's enough is enough already. You know, just, you know, it's... it's <laughs> win regular. Just win, just win regular. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's crazy because, you know, you run out of words after a while to, to discuss this stuff. I mean, you know, they, they get a... They're down six runs on, on, on the, the second game of that doubleheader. Um, you know, and there's three runs in the ninth. And they, and they come back and they went on a walk-off grand slam uh, by Grayson Griner. I mean, my goodness. You know, it's it's... Uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, there's no doubt about it. But you know, there's a part of me that wonders if this is sustainable. I mean, it's not like they're dominating everybody if they're having to win a lot of games like this and come from behind fashion. Um, but you know, I, I think we've seen that um, 
that that intangible factor matters. <laughs> it yeah. mattered a lot to South Carolina during their two national championship runs. So um, I think I, I like I like it to see a team that has the ability to do this, even if it means they're not necessarily blowing people out all the time. I will say that you just look up and down their lineup. They generally, you know, the, what generally is their lineup. I just see a real deep lineup. You know, I mean, there's yep. a lot of they're just there's not a lot of easy outs in that. You know, in that lineup, Aaron, I don't I don't see where teams can relax. And I can see where they would always believe they're going to score runs because any point in that lineup is dangerous. And one of the questions that we had um, on Twitter from James Gilliam is, how do we see Joey Pancake and Grayson Griner growing in the draft? And then Will Crow, another great start, 6-0, SEC Rookie of the Year, National Rookie of the Year. I mean, obviously we call it Freshman of the Year. Um, Crow's certainly in the mix for that, as well as you know, he's got to beat out Keegan Thompson of Auburn in that. But, I mean, uh, you know, Keegan Thompson we wrote about last week. But Aaron, this is a uh, you know pretty uh, the, the, a lot was expected of these guys coming into the their college career. Pancake and Griner, um, Griner also might be one of the better answers to another Twitter question we have from our friends of VU Hawk Talk, who we think the best defensive catcher in college baseball is right now, throwing and receiving. Griner would certainly be in the mix for that. But that seems that that makes Grayson Griner. He's I, college catchers who can catch and throw don't go any lower than the third round. It doesn't feel like so his. His floor is the third round, and if he hits and someone believes in him, it seems like he can go a little higher than that. What's your take on Pancake from a draft standpoint, especially as he's moved around a little bit, third base and some left field this year? Yeah, he's a little bit of a you know a wild card just because of that, and he hasn't um, you know you'd love to see what he could do on the mound. I mean, everybody has, has always talked about that, but at this point, I think we have to we have to acknowledge that this guy is is a, is a hitter, um, you know, and and, and I and I think. He's a good hitter. I do like the swing. I mean, there is real strength in there. It's compact. There's a lot of line drives. Um, and, you know, he, he, the defense plays, I think, at third base. I think that's a pretty good spot for him. I don't know if he quite profiles as a typical third baseman. I mean, he's uh, he's not a guy that you, you think is going to hit, you know, 30 home runs in the big leagues. Um, so, you know, where does he fit at the next level? I'm not really sure. Because uh, I don't think he's probably a shortstop. Maybe he's, you know, he's got arm strength. If you could put him at second base, I mean, it's it's... it's it's helpful to have arm strength at second base, you know, turning that double play. But, uh, you know, I don't know quite where he fits, um, but he's an interesting guy, and, and I think he probably goes in that, you know, three to five round range. He reminds me, Aaron, a lot of uh, another player South Carolina had there, uh, James Darnell. Uh, mm. Big, right-handed bat, athletic, some power. You know, you kind of question the profile. James Darnell has made the big leagues as, uh, just on the Durham Bulls roster that came across my email over the weekend. So James Darnell's in my head. It feels like they're fairly comparable players. You know, Darnell was a second-round pick. I kind of feel like Pancake could be second, third round if he has a, a good finish. I'm encouraged by the fact that he's making a lot of contact this year, only eight strikeouts so far. Right. But, I mean, the bottom line is, like you said, he's about the bat. He's an acceptable defender at third base, those kind of things. If he has to move to the outfield, then you're even putting more demands on the bat. But uh, the bat is where, you know, he has to make his mark. You know, he has to make his mark offensively and – you know, so far, it's been fine, but it's not like he's tearing the cover off the ball. It's not like he's been A.J. Reed, um, you know, offensively. So, um, And the college hitting crop has left scouts pretty underwhelmed, I think is the fair way right. to put that. Um, but, Aaron, a couple other teams. So, Florida, we, we started off talking about Florida. We talked a little bit about South Carolina, obviously. Uh, we, we dropped LSU down to 20 in the rankings. Um what was your take on LSU? Is that just a factor of I mean, the only? I feel like the only thing we've talked about with LSU this year has been its lack of um, 
you know, his lack of a difficult schedule. Do we feel like they just, uh, you know, what's your takeaway on, on their weekends this weekend? Was it just a matter of them running into I mean, they, they'd already played a very tough opponent in Vanderbilt and won one of those games. Was it just a matter of uh, running into a hot uh, Florida team, uh, being on the road only the second time? What's your takeaway of why this happened to to LSU? Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's some there's there's certainly something to be said for that. I mean, just um, running into the wrong team at the wrong time. But I also think there there is cause for concern here about LSU's offense a little bit. You know, this is a uh, boy they lost a lot from last year's offense, and um, you know, Kate Skivik has come in here and hit really well. Um, you know, I mean, he's been a, a really instant impact guy, but you know. Bregman has has kind of scuffled here in the first half of the season, and that's been um, that's been. Hey, they need that guy to lead the way. I mean, that's your All American, and he's not really doing it. And you know, the rest of these pieces here, there's they're not a lot of star power in the lineup. Um, you know, and and I don't know that the the quality of at bats are. I mean, I, I feel like generally they've been pretty good. I feel like they're they're patient and they're working counts. That's what they do at LSU, but. Um, I don't know. I don't see a lot that scares me in this lineup, you know. And I, I just don't. I just don't think they have the the kind of explosiveness maybe that they had even last year. Um, and so, you know, I, I think in the SEC against quality pitching, I think they're gonna struggle to score runs. And besides Aaron Nola, I don't think they have um, elite arms on that staff. So, I don't know, John. I mean, this is a team that I think uh, could be. Hey, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about them in the next few weeks. Mississippi State, Arkansas, Ole Miss. I mean, every weekend in the SEC, it's it's going to be a challenge, an opportunity to learn something about yourself. But um, right now, I'm, I don't know what to think of this team. Yeah, I don't either, Aaron, because it's just so tough. You, you, it's tough to judge their statistics because of what they did in non-conference. Was you know they, they, the teams they played in, out of the conference were so modest. But like you said, in the league. They're last in the SEC with a 212 batting average. Now, granted, they, they played Vanderbilt. So that's that's part yeah. of that. You know, it's a very small sample size. But, you know, Florida definitely has nice arms, but Florida is a team that uh, it, well, there were a lot of freshmen, like you said. And uh, it looks like Alex Bregman is just being pitched around, and, you know, other teams are saying, hey, we're going to take our chance with them. That's, you know, I'm, I'm just looking up their SEC stats. Bregman's three for 35 in league games, Aaron. Wow. So um, that ain't helping. <laughs> that's just not. That's not going to get it done. I mean, like you said, you look around the rest of the lineup, and you say, and you you do look at it and say, well, this is going to have to start with Alex Bregman, and they anticipated that. I mean, that's how they yeah. want things to happen. But then you like uh, so you're looking at it, so he's not igniting it, and then you look around the rest of the supporting cast. There's not really a guy you can point to and say, yes, I expect him to be his wingman. Yeah, you know, and they, they, they thought Mark Laird was going to be the guy, you know, who was going to take it. He was ready to – they kept saying the fall and coming into the spring, this guy is going to take the leap and be the big, next big star, you know. I mean, and he hasn't done it. Um, you know, Stevenson has taken a jump forward. I mean, that's been a, um, a guy they needed to do, to do that, and he has. But, um, you know, Christian Ibarra hasn't been very good. Um, you know, and the other thing – but Bregman, John, I think I saw somebody say on, on Twitter, one of the media guys, that uh, LSU restricted access to Bregman, um, you know, during this slump or something that, you know, it was, maybe it was after one of the games or, or something like that. I mean, he's not talking to the media. So you wonder if this is starting to get in his head a little bit. Um, and he, but he needs to get out of it fast. And you, you think with his makeup, I mean, hey, guys are going to go through slumps, but he, you'd think he'll bounce back. But it needs to happen pretty soon. 
Yeah, I mean that is uh yeah, I guess the uh, the story on uh, nola.com, the tweet that you one of the tweets you're referring to is uh, uh St- Bregman struggles hovering over the offense Palmineri says. So um wow. you know, <laughs> we'll see 3 for 36. That's just not easy. So, not a great way for Alex Bregman to celebrate his birthday over the weekend um with the <laughs> the struggles that he had um this weekend and those those are through nine games again it's a small sample size if there's anybody you're going to believe you, know, you, you it's easy to make the pedroia comps and yeah i thought you i loved the comparison you had for uh ross kivett with that brashness mm. with his quote to the georgia state the, the kansas state uh feature you did the dispatch from the heartland on kansas state um but, you know the scouts were the ones who were who were giving it on on alex bregman saying like you know you hate to go pedroia but there are these similarities so that makes you feel like a guy who gets earns that kind of respect from scouts is almost impervious to struggles, but he is a sophomore, and he is the center of their offense, and he's the guy everybody else is game-planning. And that's new. That's right. And he doesn't have, Mason, right. I mean, doesn't have Mason Katz behind him, uh, and, you know, a guy who got off to such a monster start last year. So it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit – it's just a different scenario this year for Alex Bregman. And so far, he hasn't uh, responded the way that uh, Palmineri and the – and the Tigers need him to. Exactly right. And I was going to make the same point about Mason Katz and Rafe Rhymes not being there. I mean, he's more right. of a, you know, there's there's more uh, onus on this guy. So, you know, there, there, there are a few players in the country um, that are asked to do more right now, you know. And certainly Trey Turner is kind of in that same boat with Bregman. But even Turner, I think, has a better supporting cast. That's a great segue, uh, Aaron, to the other struggling teams, North and South Carolina, North Carolina and North Carolina State, both out of our rankings. I feel like we've talked about both teams a lot this year, so I don't want to belabor the point. But the ACC, I guess the bigger point here, Aaron, is as Georgia Tech also gets swept, um, there's some teams in, in bubble territory in the Atlantic Coast Conference here mm-hmm. when it comes to when it comes to regionals. Um, I, 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 I booked it for Maryland to go to regionals last week, and of course they, they lose two to, to uh, Clemson, but I'm not backing off the Terrapins. But suddenly Wake Forest is 19-10 and 10 and 8-4 and four in the league. And North Carolina and NC State are, you know, North Carolina five and seven in the league after getting swept by Pittsburgh. The Tar Heels just flat out cannot hit. And when they do hit, they don't field very well. They've lost six straight. So that, that funk kind of uh, started really uh, with that West Virginia loss. So I guess they've lost seven of their last eight. Um, and then you mix in NC State, which has lost, been swept three straight times. It's lost nine out of 10, 15 and 11 overall. Still feels like NC State, from a talent perspective, should be able to turn this around. Um, but uh, neither of these teams are playing anywhere near capacity, or, or or did we misread their capacity coming into the season? Well, I, I think I think NC State, um, you know, will will get it going. You know, and and I don't think we misread their capacity. I, I do think that um, there are some causes for legitimate concern. Uh, when you look at their team, and, and again, it's just a team that hasn't gotten very um, consistent offense, and, and it's, uh, you know, a lot of things they did last year, um, you know, working counts and hitting situationally, they haven't done, um, they have been inconsistent in a lot of different ways, really. This team has, has not been good, but, you know, that said, um, you have to believe in the track record of, of Radon and Turner and, you know, even, even Austin, uh, you know, and although that junior class in particular, right. um, I mean, I, I just, I just think 
they have to get it going. And especially with the schedule in the second half, um, you know, after, after they play Duke this week, uh, or uh, Clemson rather on the road this weekend, that's the thing is, you know, they, they can't get swept the fourth straight time. If they're three and 12, you know, that's not pretty, but if they can go to Clemson, even if they lose that series, well, okay. So let's say they're four and, and an 11 in the league. It's not a, that's a pretty deep hole to have to dig out of, but the rest of the schedule is favorable. You know, it's, it, they should win every, every series the rest of the way. So, um, I don't know. I mean, this is a, you know, th- this team, I, I think it is still, um, I'm not ready to give up on them. I think North Carolina is, is just pretty mediocre, John. That's my opinion. Um, and losing Chris McHugh at the back of the bullpen, um, leaves them thin on the bullpen and, you know, they, they just, the quality of their pitching is down, the quality of their offense is down. I just think they're mediocre. I don't disagree with you for a second about North Carolina. They are, uh, it's a mediocre team as long as Sky Bolt is playing the way he's playing. If you get first half of 20, uh, of 2013 Sky Bolt, when he was this dynamic switch hitting center fielder, right fielder with power and speed, and you have this dynamic offensive player, then, then things are different. I don't mean to put it all on him, but you know, the two big reasons that you thought North Carolina could still be a, a, an Omaha contender. Although, I mean, I, we had him more as like a super regional contender than an Omaha contender, where Landon Lasseter and Sky Bolt were coming back. And Lasseter is hitting 215 with a 215 slugging percentage. I know, he had a, I know he had a broken foot in the offseason. He's having a hard time in his load and his swing. You can just see he's always been a handsy hitter, but the power is just not really right there for Landon Lasseter right now. And it's, there's a reason for it. You can see it. And you can see maybe there's a reason for Sky Bolt struggles too. He has not been the same guy since his broken foot last year. But those guys are sophomores, and they were expected to carry a little bit more of the load. And Bolt's hitting 200 with, a, with three extra base hits, and Lasseter's hitting 215 with no extra base hits. That isn't going to get can't it done. can't win like that. You cannot. They, yeah. can, they cannot win like that. Not with. There's no Cody Stubbs, Brian Holberton, Colin Moran around those guys in the in the in the uh, you know in the, in the lineup. So they have good pieces. They have some nice pieces offensively. It would work if Lasseter and Bolt were hitting. The bigger question, like you said, is the pitching. I mean, Chris McHugh was uh, by far their most trusted guy in the bullpen. And outside of Hovis and Rice, there's really not another guy they trust back there. So that leaves them pretty thin. And whether it's Taylor Cherry, who was good for them last year in the ACC Tournament Championship game, but, you know, the, the game I saw him this year, you know, Georgia Tech bunted on him, and he tried to bend over and pick up the ball, and he couldn't do it. He literally hmm. couldn't do it. He bent over and, and flubbed the he flubbed the pretty routine chance, and he could be run on and he could be bunted on. And maybe maybe a few years ago, nobody would have bunted on him, but everyone's going to bunt on him now. So, um, right. and going back to NC State, Aaron, uh, the thing that gives me pause about them is that this is supposed to be that this team has had uh, has not found its identity yet. Two years ago, their identity was. Well, they had Rodon uh, with his breakout freshman year. And then, Aaron, remember, two years ago, that was a loaded offense. Turner at the top with 55 steals, just the most dynamic offensive player in college baseball, not named Chris Bryant, even though that wasn't even Chris Bryant's big year. But, I mean, you know, he was the most dynamic guy out there for me was Turner. Then you had Chris Diaz, Danny Canella, uh, Ryan Matthews, hashtag personal cheese ball with his 17 home runs. Then you had Sine and Sensen. You had like Austin, Ratledge, and Fincher. Those guys were like seven, eight, nine as freshmen. But one right. through one through six, you had this dynamic freshman, and then you had veterans who didn't all hit for power, but they gave you good at bats. And last year there was some turnover in that lineup, but still some 
still some veterans, and then this ridiculous bullpen that was outrageously deep. We've talked about that. What is NC State's identity this year? Well, when you talk to them, it was supposed to be starting pitching. Well, Rodon has not been Rodon. Uh, he has a 209 ERA, but he's also given up 13 unearned runs. Wow. Uh, Jernigan's been iffy. He uh, uh, And then Brad Stone has been okay. But they're not winning with starting pitching, and that is supposed to be their identity. So their plan B, what is plan B? Because right now plan A, the starting pitching, that was supposed to be their bellwether, is not getting it done. I don't know what plan B is for them, and I don't think they know either. So they don't quite know their identity as a team right now. And uh, I, I agree with you that I, I see a path to them improving because they are talented and the schedule does ease up a bit. But boy, from a confidence standpoint and an identity standpoint, I don't think they know who they are as a team right now. And it's really going to take a big start in on the weekend from a Rodon, a Jernigan, Stone, maybe all three. Andrew Wick is the guy, too, that, that made a start this weekend that, you know, provided some stability. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and you'd love to have that guy in the bullpen, but, hey, if you need stability, you know, maybe that's what like what Mississippi State did with, with Ross Mitchell. I mean, you, you, maybe you just move your most consistent guy into a starting role and get as much out of him as you can. That's exactly what they did because Andrew Wick, uh, like in the previous two series when they got swept, that's your, your go-to moment of truth guy in the bullpen and there was never a moment of truth so if you're, not, if you're not facing if you're not getting to him in the bullpen you can't go a weekend uh with the guy who right now is your best pitcher and have him not pitch so i, I respect that decision by nc state uh it, it stunned me when i saw that he started but at the same time it, when you really pull back it makes sense and you know they don't have a pitcher with more than two saves uh, they have 15 wins so they've lost a lot of games but i couldn't tell you who their closer is right now i, I think they wanted it to be john olzak uh, he has struggled a little bit of late, so it's a it's an iffy situation in uh, in Raleigh, no doubt about it. Um, Aaron, we're we're podcasting uh, on college baseball with John and Aaron, and um, a couple other series. Actually, Aaron, I wanted to bring up some positive teams. Let's talk about some teams that moved up. How about two teams that were ranked in the preseason: Indiana and Alabama. Um, the Crimson Tide, kind of the opposite, really, in some ways, of LSU. Aaron, and they've played a pretty challenging schedule. They seem to know uh, who they are and what their identity is. And a uh, big series win this weekend for the Tide to kind of get back toward the top of that very crowded SEC bubble. They're sitting there at 6-3. and three. Um, has it, uh, have, you know, they, they swept the Ole Miss, which had been hot. Has anything about Alabama surprised you at all during this stretch? Or is it pretty much as they played some tough games and won some close ones, lost some close ones? They seem like they kind of are who we thought they were. Yeah, that's it. I think that's exactly right. You know, I mean, um, they were a, a back of the top 25 team uh, heading into the season, and they're going to be in and out and in and out because the SEC is like that. Um, but, but, you know, last week uh, they lost to an Arkansas team that was kind of in the same boat, um, you know, kind of a fringe top 25 team heading into the year. I liked Alabama more than the other teams we had at the back of the rankings. I mean, I think I liked them more than Florida, Texas A&M, Arkansas. You know, right. for me, Alabama was that middle-of-the-pack SEC team that had a chance to, to sneak up a little bit. Um, so, you know, I, I, th- I, think, uh, I think their pitching is, is, has not peaked yet. I mean, Spencer Turnbull hasn't really turned it on yet. Um, you know, he, he, and he won this week against Chris Ellis. But, um, you know, that's a guy that... Uh, when he really gets it going, I mean, if he pounds his zone a little more consistently, right. gets his gets his command a little bit better, um, when he gets into a groove, he can be dominant. And so that hasn't really happened yet, but they they still have, um, you know, they just have a balanced club. I, I just like the the overall um, 
structure of that roster. I, I don't think there's any glaring weaknesses. I'm with you. It's a very balanced, <clears throat> very balanced looking team. Um, it doesn't like you said that just, you can't point anything to the, and say that here's a real big weakness for Alabama. They do a lot of things well, and um, you know, so far I think I, I feel like their their schedule being tough has helped them to this stamp to this point. I'm not, I don't mean to knock uh, LSU schedule too much, but it is like, brutal. Though it was brutal. It was brutal. It was brutal. There's no other way to put it. I mean, you don't have to go play Louisiana Lafayette for a weekend series for Alabama. They did, and. And they found out some things about themselves. They got shut out twice in a row, and they came back and scored 12 runs. It's not easily done. Um, they could prepare them for SEC play a little bit more. Um, and you look down the line for them, they, they have some tough, tough road series to come at A&M, at Tennessee, at South Carolina, at LSU. That's I mean, everybody in the SEC has that, <laughs> Aaron. Everyone has a tough road series coming up. But uh, you know, Alabama and Auburn right now, I mean, Alabama and Mississippi State, I should say, leading the SEC West. With Auburn, then Ole Miss, Arkansas, Texas A&M, but LSU at last place in the league, in the SEC. Well, in the whole league, uh, I guess. At the no, just in the West. I apologize. I can't do math this morning, Aaron. Their tie puts them uh, ahead of Tennessee and Missouri. Uh, mm. We've we've talked about it the whole time, Aaron. I mean, it really looks like really outside of Georgia and Missouri, you really can't rule any of these teams out of uh, regional yeah. right now, right? And Georgia and Missouri both won series this weekend. You know, Missouri went to Auburn and won two out of three. Um, and, and Georgia took two out of three from Texas A&M. So there's just no gimmies in this league. It's just, it's just incredible to try to figure it out. And, um, you know, and I think the ACC is muddled too. Uh, but I feel like the ACC is muddled more out of mediocrity. Whereas the SEC, I feel like there are 12 teams here that are legitimately regional caliber teams. And, and even Georgia and, and, you know, Missouri, probably if they were in different leagues, they might have more of a shot um, because there are, there's agree. talent on those teams. I completely agree. There's talent in the ACC as well, but those are some mediocre teams. There's no doubt. I mean, the, uh, if you said which would surprise me more, the SEC getting 12 regional bids or the ACC getting five, I would say the ACC getting five would not surprise me. I mean, I'm not. I'm not, not ruling surprised. out they're going to give. I'm you, not. It would not surprise me if they only got five bids. I mean, it's just. I'm. I'm. I expect them to give more. I expect teams like North Carolina, NC State, uh, Maryland, Wake Forest, uh, you know, Miami, those kind of teams. I expect some of those teams to play a little bit better. But right now, we have four teams ranked: Florida State, Clemson, Virginia. Uh, well, I should say three teams ranked. So Florida State, Clemson, Virginia. Uh, those are locks. Who else is a you know is a likely regional team from the ACC right now? Who would you stick your neck out for? I mean, I think Miami will be will be fine because you know for one thing, Miami. I don't know if anybody's played you know a tougher schedule than Miami has, and which is Great weird because you look at their you look at their RPI and they're they're forty, I guess, in the RPI. But I mean, you know, they they played uh, Florida State and Florida um, in the non-conference, and um, you know they played Virginia, they played. NC State on the road. They played Georgia Tech on the road. I mean, you know, there's okay. So there might be other teams that have played a comparable schedule, uh, but, but it's a good schedule. And 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 I think, you know, I think the the worst is probably behind them now. I mean, the, the next three weeks are, are a lot more manageable. Really, the, the whole rest of the season is more manageable. I expect Miami will be will be just fine and could be back into into hosting mix by the end of the season. Yeah, I really don't understand this one. As you mentioned, strength of schedule. I guess because they've played Maine and maybe Boston College, but Miami's strength of schedule shows up at 82. On boysworld.com, and that just doesn't com- that doesn't compute because they've also played Florida, at Florida State, at Georgia Tech, Virginia, at NC State. So that just doesn't compute at all. You know, it's a better it's a better schedule than 82nd best schedule um, in the country. Yeah. 
that part that, that part definitely does not make sense. Um, Aaron, another good good story is Indiana. Um, certainly, the Hoosiers struggled out of the gates. Um, what's got them back? It looks like their bats have started to come along. Yeah, that's it. You know, this was really refreshing. I think this weekend for those of us who've been waiting for Indiana to to do this, um, you know, they finally got their bats going. And certainly Schwarber and Travis, as usual, were kind of right in the middle of it. But they got, you know, this is really balanced team offense. I think they had ten different guys have hits on Sunday, and you know, Dustin Demuth had some big hits, and um, you know, there were a bunch of guys that came through for him. So I, I think we we always thought it was just a matter of time for that team offensively to get going. But um, you know, Joey Donato became the all time strikeout leader at that university on Friday, just a really uh, good, competitive, accomplished senior guy. And, um, and they got a good start from Christian Morris on Sunday, which, uh, which, was, a, which was very helpful. You know, he got his first win of the year. So um, things, things looking up for the Hoosiers right now. And, you know, 15 and 10, um, maybe not quite a top 25 resume if you could stack it up just on sheer resume with some other teams at the back. But uh, when you combine it with their talent and their track record and their momentum now, you know, last two weeks, um, we moved them back into the top 25. Yeah, I mean, like Oklahoma, I guess some of the other teams that we talked about, Oklahoma, you saw the Sooners uh, recently, Aaron, did you not? You've, you've seen Oklahoma on your trip. I did. I uh, did, I saw them. We've got Oklahoma in here. We've got uh, New Mexico's uh, on the worksheet, Liberty, Pepperdine, uh, the teams from the 619 area code, USD and San Diego State. Did I get that area code right? You did. 619 rep and present. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I went that direction. Um, Aaron, who have any of these other teams, I guess, uh, that are outside the top 25, Who's who's got the best resume, uh, or, or is there a team out there that you believe in but you don't quite have the resume yet? Uh, let's see. That's an interesting question. It's a good way to put it, actually. I, I think um, you know, you, there are teams you, that have – You with Indiana. I mean, like you said, Indiana was a team we believe in. The resume doesn't really support it, but no one else really seems like they have a combination of team we believe in and resume, so we kind of believe in the talent. Uh, is there anybody else who's kind of in their league? As, as, yeah, that, that, that's a good way to put it. You know, in, in Oklahoma, I think is interesting, um, and, and I don't quite buy in all the way. Um, I don't love their arms, you know, but they, they, but they have a pretty good bullpen. Um, you know, they trust their bullpen. Um, you know, their, their lineup has a lot of young players in it, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they've got some talent there. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma has the last two weeks, they've, they've won series against Kansas state and, um, who was it this weekend that they Kansas. played? It was, uh, at Kansas on the road. It was a big series. But, you know, it's just a two-and-two two week, so we couldn't quite bring them in on a two-and-two two week. But they were right there in the mix. And, um, you know, and they, all, they had a nice series win early on against Seton Hall, which Seton Hall has been good. Um, so, you know, this is uh, that's a team to me that's right there on the cusp. You know, Arizona State the last two weeks winning series at Oregon State and UCLA. It's a John Manuel Omaha sleeper right there uh, uh, making <laughs> some noise. Um, Not much Sun of a Devils. sleeper. <laughs> I have to no, admit. No. But but the Sun Devils are, are are fifteen and eleven now, so it's still not you know um, a loud resume, and they lost two home series the weeks before that. But you know, but at least now after these last two weeks winning road series um, you know, against the Beavers and, and Bruins, I think they're back in the mix for the top twenty five. So they had been really nowhere near the mix before that. So um, you know you got to keep an eye on them as well. Aaron, hottest team in the country is a good way to end, as you mentioned the Pac twelve, U Dub. Showing everybody how yeah. the rings look. How about Washington? <laughs> this new era for the Washington Huskies with the new ballpark, Husky ballpark, long overdue. I know you said you spoke to Lindsey Meggs uh, last week, uh, wrote a little bit about that. But uh, they go to USC and sweep. 
They swept uh, Arizona the previous week. They won their series at Arizona State the previous week before that. And they got Oregon and Stanford back-to-back home series. Can Washington keep this up at how have the Huskies uh, gotten off to the best start? Uh, I would guess the best start in school history. Yeah, they're they're twenty and five now. I'm not sure how that compares to their school history, but you know this is certainly um, this is pretty loud. You know, ten game winning streak is the longest in the country, and and uh, you know they've done it. I think the thing that's striking about it, and I know these teams are, are a little bit down this year, but um, when you think about Arizona State, Arizona, and USC in terms of you know college baseball history and, and winning all three of those series and two of them on the road, and and you know. That's that's something important for the University of Washington. Um, so you know these guys, they do have a veteran bunch, and, and I like their talent. I mean that that junior class um, that I wrote about in weekend preview on, on Thursday last week. You know those guys are pretty good, um, and we waited for it and waited for it to come together for those guys. You know Mitsui and Pell, and um, you know and then you got the, the the younger guys in there like Braden Bishop, who's who's emerged. Um, you know Jeff Brigham has come back strong off Tommy John surgery. He's he's a prospect. I like their three their three arms in the rotation. Um, you know, they've got three quality guys. We talked about that before with Jared Fisher and, um, you know, Brigham and, and Davis. I mean, those are quality guys and they really swung the bats this weekend, um, because they have experience. You know, we, you talked about it earlier with, um, NC state and the depth of their lineup last year, because they had those veteran pieces or was that two years ago? Two years ago, yeah. Uh, when they had those veteran pieces, you know, that kind of took some pressure off your, your, your stars. Um, and that's kind of like Washington is this year. You know, they've got older guys up and down the lineup. And so they're going to get quality at bats and, and that matters. So, you know, I, I think they're for real, John. I really do. I think I'm not saying they're going to win the Pac-12. Um, I don't think they will. You know, next three weeks, they're at home against Oregon and Stanford. Frankly, those are winnable series. You know, Oregon's not a juggernaut right now. Right. Um, you know, and Stanford won a nice series this weekend, but, you know, Stanford's not a juggernaut. And then they're on the road at Cal. Hey, that's winnable. Um, you know, Cal's is has been very up and down. So, you know, Maybe they, they will could, win the they, Pac-12. They could put, get themselves out to a pretty good lead. The, the key will be the last two weeks at Oregon State and then home against UCLA to finish. But, um, you know, they, they have a chance to build up a little cushion here over the next few weeks. This Oregon series will tell us a lot about both of those teams. We'll see, we'll see what the Ducks are made of, too. I agree completely. Uh, last but not least, Aaron, uh, uh, we're going to do this draft update. How, you tweeted about it a little bit. Wanted you to touch base a little bit on Eric Fetty with you, the UNLV right-hander. Um, you know, a lot of buzz. I heard some buzz about Brigham when I was talking to a scout about what he seen out west. Uh, two of the guys he brought up uh, in the Pac-12 were uh, Lilick, Brett Lilick, at uh, the sophomore at uh, Arizona State. Said you know Lilick's got a chance to really go real good in 2015. Um, talking about it talked about Brigham. I like that Sunday starter at Washington. Saw him roll, you know, saw him throw real well. And then he just brings up, um, uh, I forget who I was even uh, starting off with. Oh, Eric Fetty. Fetty. But he said Fetty. And he said oh, he'd seen Fetty the week before, two weeks ago, and that Fetty hadn't had a fastball below 93. Now it sounds like you didn't see that kind of velocity because you didn't see Fetty in uh, conditions in Arizona. You saw him in, <laughs> in the cold of the Midwest, of America's heartland, yeah. and one of your heartland dispatches. Dispatch from the Heartland, I should say. Um, how did Eric Fetty look in the Heartland, and uh, have you heard that kind of buzz about him? Yeah, I have heard some buzz on him, but you know, I didn't see a fastball above ninety-two. I mean, okay. he was—he sat—he sat right at ninety, ninety-two the entire game, but he had a lot of sink, you know, and in, in arm side run um, because that's what he does. I mean, he gets a ton of ground balls, and I think he—I think he got fifteen ground ball outs in that game. Um, so you know, he's just 
pounding the zone with with three pitches. I mean, I thought the the slider and the changeup were both solid average kind of pitches. Um, you know, so he gave him a chance to to be a legitimate starter down the road. I mean, this is the this guy that was primarily a fastball guy early in his career, and he's developed the secondary stuff now to the point that I think they're both quality pitches for him. And um, you know, it was cold, John. <laughs> it was yeah. really cold and windy, and you know, it's snowing. Um, and he's out there. He's out there in short sleeves, just shoving it. So uh, I was very impressed with him and the makeup. And um, you know, it was a big series win for for UNLV, getting getting into the top twenty five at number twenty five this week. I like their team. I think they, uh, you know, they, they've, uh, again, they've got some veterans and they've got, I, I thought the quality there at, bat, at bats were very good, um, you know, up and down the lineup. I think they're, I think they're pretty, pretty good team. I mean, attendance, are you right on, uh, you tweeted on Friday, attendance was 1,669 very hardy souls. Wind chill is 24 degrees, had some flurries. Are you kidding me? I mean, give, oh, yeah. Give me a break. Who, hey, I love. I love Walter. I love baseball. So I, mean, <laughs> I love baseball more than Walter McCarty. But um, I'm just stunned that 1,669 people sat outside to watch that. Yeah, that's just insanity. That is people up here. Are, people up here are bonkers. I mean, the game, the game on Wednesday at Kansas State um, <laughs> was one of the most miserable conditions I think I've ever been to at a baseball game. I mean, it was like 35 mile an hour winds howling out there. You had drizzling rain right up until first pitch and i think it drizzled throughout the game and these people are just oh okay we'll just bundle up with our jackets you know got our hoods pulled up no big deal i mean you know kansas state they, they showed up and there were a ton of students um rolling up to the game beforehand because i guess they were giving out t-shirts and uh, one thing about college kids they love t-shirts but, um but you know i mean people 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 were into it and i i know that they they would have drawn a lot better if there was good weather but they still i was impressed with the the dedication of the people who did show up I just love you talking to Darren Erstad Friday, and you know Erstad played most of his career for the Angels, and you're like, "What are you doing leaving Southern California? I miss it went crazy." <laughs> Especially when you're in the Midwest, and he's like, "Well, my wife took the map and she xed out the Dakotas, and <laughs> you know, I think Nebraska is yeah. a garden spot, I guess, compared to the Dakotas." But I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. It really does kind of. It feels like one of the things about this week is, I mean, the weather's been bad everywhere, but this is just par for the course for the most of the ballparks and programs that you've been visiting this week and it's you know these guys are playing games in winter in yeah. in nebraska and in kansas and i think it just really uh kind of gives it a pull back the thirty thousand feet point of view it really is amazing that these programs have some of the tradition that they have and they succeed the way they succeed despite these obstacles in their path john today is opening day in major league baseball and we've got seven weeks in the books in college baseball. That's yeah. stupid. I'm sorry. I'm going to rant about this again because that's just stupid, John. Dude, it is I mean, stupid. This is, this is so ridiculous. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And, you know, I, I know it's crazy um, to, to try to say, hey, we need to move the whole season into the summer. I understand that it's, it, it's, it would take a lot of work. And logistically, there's a lot of things that would have to – you'd have to sit down and hammer it out and say, okay – How's the draft going to work? How you know? What, summer leagues are they going to be killed? Well, you know what? I don't care. If, if summer leagues, if summer leagues are in trouble because of this, so be it. I think college baseball has to look out for college baseball. And, and you know, this is a summer sport. It's, it's not a winter sport. Starting in February, starting practice in January. Give me a break. This is America's pastime, John. It's not hockey. You know. It's- <laughs> I'm totally with you, man. I'm totally with you. The proposal that Randy Maisie had. I mean, it's not the new, it's not the first time, um, like, you, like you wrote, but 
it's certainly noteworthy just that you know right now college baseball is more of a uh, more of a sport of interest than other sports, and I don't understand why that uh, doesn't change for the uh, you know why that hasn't changed the attitude of the NCAA with regard to college baseball. It feels like it should be uh, a little bit more respected. Um, by the NCA and give it a little bit more of a chance to shine, and it's impossible, I think, to thrive in this atmosphere, in this weather. So that's it. it it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, these teams fight it every year. The rest of the country's fighting it more than usual this year. We saw it two years ago. We saw it talked about it the first podcast of the year two years ago. We had a ridiculously mild winter everywhere, and I, you know, all the planets aligned. And Stony Brook and Kent State were great teams. They had great talent. Great coaching staffs, both went to Omaha, but everything has to line up for that to happen. For those teams right. to really be national contender, national, true national championship contenders, which you know, Kent State was one and one in Omaha at one point. They'd beaten Florida, they had a chance to win the whole thing. You know, Sonny Brook showed up, was happy to be there, and two, you know, might have uh, been a little bit in awe of the moment uh, in their trip to Omaha. But everything has to line up for a Northern team to win a national championship. And that might be fine for some regional sport, like you said, like hockey, but that should not be good enough for college baseball. It shouldn't be. And, uh, you know, the NCAA, as we know, for Aaron, <laughs> it's a pretty arrogant group. And they don't really seem like they give a flip what Major League Baseball wants or when Major League Baseball's draft is. So if the NCAA right. decided to move its season on its own, Major League Baseball would be one that would have to react, one would imagine. Um right. But I, I'm, you know, I've always thought of college summer baseball as a necessary evil. Uh, you know, that phrase, I don't mean that phrase literally, it's not evil, but it's only necessary because you don't play college baseball at college in the summer. You have to play it somewhere because right. it's a summer sport, but it only exists to fill a vacuum. And if you move the college season back to when baseball season actually should be, you would not have a vacuum to fill. So I wouldn't mind losing the Cape Cod League. You know, I love the Cape. Great, it's, it, it does a lot of great things, but it only exists because it has to. And if it didn't have to, you know, it would be better for college baseball uh, if the brand names were North Carolina, Michigan, you know, South Carolina, Texas, Alabama. If those are the brand names you were talking about in July instead of Katuit or the Rochester Honkers or the Chillicothe Paints, with all due respect to summer college leagues. So that's... Uh, I'll just piggyback on your rant a little bit. I've made that rant before. I can make it on a moment's notice, and I just did. That's right. Well, there we go. That's probably a good place to wrap up right there. It is, Aaron. Uh, well, great stuff. You're on a flight back today. Um, you will take some much-deserved uh, days off. Um, huh. we, we, I hope so. I hope you deserve them. Are you laughing at that I'll, part? I'll, I'll work at home. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, work from home. Take a day off. Take a full day off. Uh, yeah, right. It's, it's doable. Maybe in July, Johnny. <laughs> uh, that, that's probably true. That is uh, that is kind of how the college baseball beat works. But uh, Aaron will work from home for a couple of days, so I'll see him sometime. Um, we will uh, have a college, uh, I mean, a college and high school, a 2014 draft update coming for you the next 10 days. So we'll probably podcast on that with uh, myself and Clinton Longenecker sooner than later. And we'll remind you that this podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther with Louisville Slugger. So for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next BA podcast. So long, everybody.